I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. I am Bernie, and I am one of the fans of history, recording from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And we record from, we started in 1000 BC, and we're counting back to the present <laughs> someday and we're at but we're at five the five sixties BC now. Yes, we've covered everything decade by decade. Decade started by our by our co host here, our main guy Dan Horning in Sweden. We are like I said, we're in the five sixties BC. We're just starting this decade and we're gonna kick it off with Greece. And another place. And another place. Everything's sort of mixing together here. It's becoming an integrated world in our 560s. This, we're really barreling towards some, this decade is sort of placeholders. We're barreling towards some really major events in world history in the next couple of decades. I got uh, some major events for the Middle East in a later episode. Cool. I have a question for you, though. I put this in the podcast when someone asked me the other day, for you and all the listeners. How many holes does a straw have? Okay. Would you say? <laughs> I would say it has two holes. That's what I would have said, and that's what I did say. So I, I looked it up, and so basically, a straw has one hole because essentially, since depth is required but a bottom isn't, a straw has, or more accurately, is one hole with two openings. <laughs> Makes kind of sense. <laughs> I know, nothing to do with history, but I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I have to warn you and the listeners that today it's uh, June 9th in Stockholm, Sweden. Okay. And a lot of 19-year-olds are celebrating getting through what we call 
gymnasiet. Okay. So it's kind of a hybrid between high school and college. And they are very happy and they tend to cruise outside uh, my studio. So you might hear screaming 19-year-olds. And that's oh. not people I'm keeping prisoner, but uh, <laughs> people that pass by in the street. All right. I'll believe they you. They're crying in joy, not in pain. I know. And I, I know you have a new podcast series coming on. Your Swedish podcast for, the, um, I think it's the Candyman, right? That's, he sounds pretty terrifying. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. In the Serie Marapodden, we're doing yeah. Dean Corll for 10 episodes this summer. Oof. I, Just, I saw it on in your guys' Facebook page and I looked it up, who he was, and yeah, nasty. Not a nice guy. Definitely not. Okay, let's talk about Carthage then, I guess. Yeah, we could say about Carthage. So what I have about Carthage is um, this general. His name is Malchus, M-A-L-C-H-U-S. And I guess I missed a little something about him, too, in the 570s. He he was um, a general. Under him, he started the systematic conquest of the rest of northern, the, like the area around Carthage. So this has, he's been, this has been going on. And then in 576, he was sent, sometime around 576, he was sent to Sicily because um, the Phoenician colonies and also the natives, they, were, they wanted help against the Greeks that were expanding west into, and the island towards there. Um, everything's not really clear on this, what happened, but there may have been some troops there already. But anyway, he... He did capture uh, the Greek city of Salinas, Salinas, and there's about three Phoenician colonies too. And during the battles, there's some mythical stuff on this guy. And there's the thing is, there's gonna be a lot more about him. So, but what happened is is not completely clear, but it's pretty, we're pretty sure that he was successful in kicking out the Greeks out of that area and you know consolidating. Um, you know, taking over some of these other Phoenician colonies. It's funny because you think Carthage is in charge of all these colonies, but there's these other Phoenician colonies. Well, uh, well, now they're in charge. They are now, right? And they're, I mean, all over the Mediterranean. There's this, this pressure from the Greeks is causing them to become more militaristic. But that's all we know about him now. And we're, we're going to say more about him in the next decades because he's got some drama. He does some crazy stuff. So Malchus is the Hannibal of the 560s BC. Yeah, yeah, and he starts a family too, I think. He's like, he starts a dynasty, so he'll be important later. A lot of stuff here. Is in. And that's all we had for uh, Carthage, right? That's all we have for now. We're still be working on this decade, so that's pretty much it, though. So let's go to Greece. Yeah, we'll go to Greece. And we'll just, I'm going to start off with the um, Olympics. We'll just get them done. Yeah, let's do sports. There's a bunch of them too, though. We have a lot. Yeah, because so 568, we have, oh my goodness, Dan, you're going to have to help me with, could you do some of these names? So the guy who wins the stadium in 568 is Hagnon from Peparethos. Yes. Or what What? What does the Subius mean? He's That's over the source. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's the source. The Subius is the source for all our victors this decade. Yeah. And then we have boxing, of course, in uh, 568, won by Tisandros from Sicily, from yeah. Naxos. Mm-hmm. And you'll, we, we go through this. You, this guy won a couple. Pancration is, and, and there's another guy from, who wins a couple. 
Oh yeah, Tisandros wins the boxing in 564 and 560 as well. That's right. That's pretty good. I mean, that's eight years of being a boxing champion. Oh, pretty much ten years of being the yeah the boxing champion of the decade. Good work, Tisandros of Naxos. Yeah, man. Good work is right. And then we have the Pancration in 564. We don't have a result for 568. No. And it's won by Arikion. From Phygalea. Phygalea. Wherever that is. We're going to find out. It's uh, it's uh, in Greece proper. Okay. The southwest corner. So not a colonist returning like Tisandros. No. Close to the frontiers of Messenia. It's like if you're looking at Greece, it's on the left. <laughs> oh. And bottom. In um, 564, the stadium is won by Hippostratos from Croton. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Tethrippon, which is what? That's the horse, that's the chariot race. Oh, so the chariot race is yeah. won by Callias from Athens. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be the Athenian sport of choice because they win it in 560 as well. Yeah. At that time, it's uh, Mitiades. Yes. And if you recall, that you don't necessarily have to be the actual horse rider, you, they sort of own the horses, they yeah. own the team. Just pay the money and you get all the glory. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Arikion returns from Figalea to the Pancration in 564 and wins that as well. Mm-hmm. And we don't know who won in 560, but my bet is on Arikion. My bet is on, or if he didn't play, then that's why they didn't list him. And that's all the winners we have. Yeah. And then with the Greeks go found colonies, as always. Yeah, now they're founding colonies like crazy, driving the Phoenicians insane. <laughs> or the Carthaginians, I should say. And they are on Corsica now. Yeah, and this is a big deal. This isn't a big deal today, but it's going to be this particular place. It's called um, Alelia. And there's a, there will be a famous battle of Alelia and not too long from now, a few decades. And these are found, this was founded by the Greeks from Phocaea. They're the ones that are in Turkey, on, they're Ionian Greeks. They, they're the ones who founded Marseille. And, um, well, they love the northwestern Mediterranean. Yeah, and they're going to have to get out of town, too, because stuff's going on in, in their area. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they called it uh, Alalia, and that means, oh, oh, sorry. They also called it Caliste, which means the most beautiful one. That's just marketing. Yeah, I think so. That's why they wanted to get there. I mean, Focaea, it's far from Focaea, but I, I think they probably the colonists from Marseille had a lot to do with that. They were the, if you remember, like around 600, they said they became more militaristic because they had some battles with the no, lo, locals. I'm quite surprised they didn't go to Corsica first. It seems much better for a Greek colony. I think, well, that's the Tyranian Sea there, right? So they're not really supposed to, they're, they're, not, they don't really, they're not really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Tyranian as in Etruscan. Correct. And so there's uh, the, Tarusk, the Etruscans are there, the Carthaginians are there, now the Greeks are there. So this is all like, you know, as you probably guys all know, there's the Greeks and the Carthaginians fight for the next like 200 years in this area. I just listened to a Swedish podcast about archaeology and they found, uh, they thought they found the Rosetta Stone for the Etruscan language because <sighs> we can't read it still. But it was a document with... Um, Phoenician writing oh. and Etruscan writing. 
And it might even have been from this period because it was um, sort of a, an agreement between the Phoenicians and the Etruscans to keep the Greeks away. Oh, for sure. We ha- I'm sure it was from this period then. The Etruscans are getting taken it on all sides, you know. They have the Romans there and then they have the... Oh, they have no reason to be afraid of the Romans. Remember that Rome is an Etruscan city at this point. Yeah, I get it. It's still... They're going to eventually piss them, take them over. <laughs> eventually, yes. <laughs> Some guy sitting there going, you better watch these Romans, I'm telling you. But uh, as we will tell you in about 200 episodes, it uh, it's also the Gauls who are very responsible for the fall of Etruria. Oh, okay. Yeah, they make their way down on their way to Rome, take care of them. Yes. Aha, uh-huh, that makes sense. Perfect. Well, so that's that little place, that place there. It's, it's 2,500 kilometers from Phokea, but I don't know if they, you know, how that all worked. It's sort of another, it's sort of like Carthage and Tyre. They're all the way over there in Marseille, starting their own colony. And there's another one. This had to definitely piss off the Carthaginians, too. This colony around 560 is called Barca, and that's founded by Cyrene. We, we, had, we had Cyrene a few decades ago. They're in northern Africa, Lib- Libya. And so they they started another colony. This whole area, there was like the, a pentopolis. There's five cities in this area. So this is Barca. This one was founded now, around now. There's interesting, though, about this. So it became a powerful city. Um, and it was later, you know, later on, it was taken over by the Persians. But what I thought was interesting is the, as King Darius, um, he took these, he took the, after he took it over, he took them captive and sent them all the way to Bactria. So, wow. Bactria is like Afghanistan. Imagine be living in northern Africa and then just taking Afghanistan. <laughs> so, yeah, then it became a Roman city. It was eventually a Byzantine city. Um, it was part, like I said, it was part of the Pentapolis there. We don't really know. We think it's currently the city. It's about 100 kilometers northeast of Benghazi. And it was the, it's the village of Marge, M-A-R-J, but we're not 100% positive if that's there. So they found some stuff, but that's that city, Barca. But, you know, there's, that's like expanding. We're like not really far from Carthage, which would make sense to me why they would try to, Carthage now was trying to expand their territory around them because, you know, they see all this. It's like if you were playing a video game, you know, like one of those civilization games, and you're like, you're doing fine over there in Carthage, and then, oh my gosh, these Greeks are building up stuff here. I better start building up stuff. Well, the Greeks are expanding on... Spain from Marseille, pretty much. All the islands, they're now on the north coast of Africa. Yeah. Greeks everywhere. Greeks everywhere. They're like, well, how'd this happen? Yeah, I've, the more I do this, the more I said the Greeks are so interesting. They're like a big laboratory. You know, because like all these, they're, they're not the, they're not sound like Greece or an empire. They're all separate little colonies doing their own thing. They're like, you know, Anyway, they're, they're so separate. It's like every yeah. city for itself, and then the colonies become cities in their own right. Yeah, and it have has. loose alliances at best. Loose alliances at best. But then they have the Olympics. That's why we bring in a every. I mean, every four years they have this Olympics where people from all over, they come. But you don't. You know what I mean? You don't hear of an Egyptian. You have to be Greek. Right? You have to be from a Greek colony, or it's like you're separate countries, but you still have to be a Greek. Yeah, we we haven't seen any non-Greeks at the Olympic Games ever. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Interesting, anyway. Um, so another colony, another one. This is kind of interesting too. 
around 560 again. And this was founded by Megara. Why can't I ever pronounce it? Megara. 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 Yeah, Megara. Megara is near Athens. But they founded this city in um, Asia Minor. It's in the coast of in the northern, like the north, the northwest coast, a little bit east of it's, uh, Byzantium now. What's it called? Yeah, Byzantium. But there was people here. This is what's interesting. So here's the name of it. I tell you the name. No, it's called Heraclea Pontica, right? And it's at the mouth of the river Lycus. It was founded by Megara, or Megara. And it's named after Heracles because he, they believe he entered the underworld at a cave in, a near, in Cape Baba, which is in, you know, in this area here. It's the, today, it's in the modern city of Karadenes in Turkey. But yeah, there was these people here. And this is interesting. Of course, this is a Herodotus story, but it seems like it's got some truth to it here. They're called the Mariandians. 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 Not too long after being there, they turned them into like helots, like serfs, and they made a deal with them. Um, they would be serfs in their own place, but they could not be sold um, into slavery outside their homeland. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a good deal. I'm going to talk a little bit about them in a minute because um, I just wanted to tell you also that this was the birthplace of a philosopher named. Heraclides Ponticus, and he's from three, he was born around 390, and he lived to about 310, and he was an astronomer and philosopher that migrated, after he was born there, he migrated to Athens, and he's best remembered for proposing that the earth rotates on its axis from west to east once every 24 hours, and that was correct. And they also say he may be probably the originator of the heliocentric theory, which meaning that the, you know, that the earth revolves around the sun. Then the Catholic Church made him say it wasn't true, and I guess. <laughs> That's some forward thinking for the fourth century. Yeah, right? <laughs> You're right. That's why they say, like, the Greeks probably knew all this stuff. And this, it later, this city was utterly destroyed in the Mithridatic Wars. That's far in the future. Far in the future, yeah. I just like sort of like to give you the whole thing of these colonies. Um, so yeah, I was surprised that these people were living there that weren't from another empire in this part of the world. I mean, this is like near Lydia. This is, you know, there's Greek colonies there. There's Scythians there. So I guess there was these people living there, simple folk, I guess, because they agreed to be like come slaves of the Greeks. I kind of this is a quote from a historian. They may have initially ceded some coastal territory to the colonists fairly peacefully of being in need of protection from them, from some of their neighbors who have, you know, hard to pronounce names. And then in time, the colonists there acquired the Lycus Valley on the basis of their prosperity, and the Mariandini entered a form of collective serfdom in which the saving grace was that they could not be dispersed or sold abroad. How this state of affairs was arrived at is not clear, but the people may have been sold into it at a time of weakness by their chieftains or may have slowly descended into it as a result of being, quote, protected out of all they owned by the colonists. The vigorous expansion of the territory resulted in the locking of these people into their agricultural villages as a dependent people and also subject to impressment as rowers in the fleet. 
So, God. <laughs> you, you know what I think is going on here? Tell me. If you look at Asia Minor up till this time, anybody who has been powerful in Asia Minor, they have cared very little about the northern coast. Mm-hmm. It's just the Greeks, right? Yeah, they've been putting the, all the whole around the whole lake. I mean, the whole sea. Yeah, but uh, the the powerful players in Asia Minor they care about what's going on to the south and to the east. Yeah. So uh, the Greeks found this place much more useful than anybody else did. Yeah. Except the Mariandinians. These poor Mariandinians were like, ah, the Greeks are kind of like. I don't know, like, we always say, I guess I keep saying, like the British, when they colonize, you know, they really took over. They Greekified you. Yes, they're an infection. Yeah. Interesting. It's funny how like, this this whole, like, st- this whole period, it's just, it just reminds me so, as we keep doing it, it reminds me so much of the, you know, the colonizing, the Europeans colonizing the world and the, you know, during that period. Good thing the Greeks didn't have railways and steamships. <laughs> if they did, we'd probably be on Mars by now. Probably. Well, we have to do that episode. That's another one we got to do on what's new in history. Remember we found that one where they have they, the Greeks could have maybe been 10 years away from making a a steam engine. Okay. Remember? We, I sent you that one time. We were just, oh, we're not going to do that today, but we'll do that one soon. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. So that's that place. This was... Um, they, like you say, they um, imprisoned. Basically, you know, they gave. I guess the best deal was that we can't sell you as slaves outside the area. But I also was interested. I was wondering why is Megara always finding these colonies out there? And basically, they say they had ties with Miletos in the area there, and they set up a colonization alliance because that's in Asia Minor. So those two are kind of working together there. Interesting. Yeah, and there's there's some stuff going on in Megara with the Athenians. We're going to talk about that in a little bit this episode because that's in the 560s also. So they're sort of they've been blockading Athens for if you remember we mentioned it for like 30 years. So they're sort of battling. Huh. Mhm. That's Greeks, man. Okay, any questions anybody? <laughs> no, it's all perfectly clear. Perfectly clear clear as mud we're setting the stage for a lot of stuff we have this other little thing you know sometimes stuff comes out they're like this happened around 560 so this around 560 according to cambridge ancient history we have the first coinage in athens and corinth and so best i can tell this isn't the iconic thinian owl coin because they make that for like 500 years and that's somewhere around 510 that that comes out but now we, we, I guess there's signs of the first coinage in, in there. And that would make sense because we know in the 600s, you know, around 600, maybe 610-ish, we had the coins over in Lydia. So yeah, It took some time for the coins to reach Greece. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like today. Somebody has an idea. Somebody steals it tomorrow. Probably took a while. But it was a good – somebody came over to my house the other day with a, a silver bar. Show me he bought silver, and it was like, that's really how it was, right? We mentioned before, he just stamped, it's basically that bar stamped and says this is how many ounces it is, and that's what a coin was then. It wasn't like, it was literally worth that, you know? Today, it just means that. But anyway, I have another thing. This area is called Tajia. Maybe we kind of missed it, not really. This is sort of like one of those topics that's 
not specific to a date, but sort of to a time. So around this time, what's happening now is we can call it the rise of Sparta. I mean, Sparta's always been there, but they're getting more powerful. They're they're consolid. They're um they're joining, making sort of alliances, sort of conquering their neighbors, and becoming more powerful. So because we, if you always we always know, they're always afraid of the Helots revolting. You know, the Messinians, because they we had all those wars in the last century. And they are always having, you know, like Argos and all those other places are always instigating a result. So she was looking for allies. And the first ally was Ellis. And they were similar to Sparta. They were an, a body of elite citizens, same kind of thing. There was eight tribes. They lived in these little communities. They each had their own Basileus, which is sort of a king. Um, so they were basically, they were like sort of the government of Sparta. And it seems that's what Sparta liked. And this is sort of what's kind of happening. As we know, if you know, the Peloponnesian Wars are like 100 years, and that's like a lot of ideological battles, I guess you could say. So these Eleans, they, like the Spartans, they reduce the people around them to like helots. Not not helots, okay? They're called periokoi, and that's different than a helot. That's sort of like a second-class citizen. Yeah, I talked about that in the old Sparta episodes. Perfect. The Perioquia yeah. is like the, the, the second-class citizens, but they are not slaves or helots. Correct. Thank you for helping me with that. So these guys have been, um, they're aligning themselves. So from 580 onwards, um, there's two umpires from Ellis in the Olympic Games. And then the Eleans and the Spartans were able to threaten this other place, Tripphelia, from either side. But the Arcadians were more dangerous, and they harbored Messinian emigres, and they were very tough fighters. And Sparta was trying to defeat them in war but from like 600 to 560, but they haven't been able to. So this is also in regards to like tyrannies, because there's all these tyrannies forming now. And so the Spartans are more interested in people being an oligarchy, right? So... Um, they want, the Spartans want things to remain as they've always been. Right. So it's the old Dorian way. Yes. And this is the concept actually that's coming around now because they want, there's non-Dorians around them. So basically in this time, they start to make these deals with these other um, um, places around them, you know, by threatening them, by promising them, things like this. So by now, uh, historians say they succeeded by exercising an indirect control over all these places. Um, including like Megara, Ellis, Corinth, um, Pisatis, and even some other states. And then that way she kept Argos almost in isolation. And then there were, during this time, it could be this guy, his, he was an effer, one of the you know advisors of the king. His name is Chilon. And he's a, generally thought of one of the seven wise men of Greece. If you remember, we had the seven wise men, I believe Solon was, not Solon. Thales, he was the first one. Yep. And so there was an oracle. The Spartans went to an oracle to explain why they couldn't beat the Arcadians. So oracle said, I shall give thee to dance in Tegea with noisy footfall and with the measuring line meet out the glorious champagne. So then Sparta attacked this place, Tegea, and they brought fetters like chains and stuff to bind them 
and rods to measure their new lands. But they were defeated, and then they made the Spartans wear fetters and work the land as prisoners of war. And the fetters were preserved at the temple of Athena at Tegea. <laughs> Bad times for the Spartans. Yeah, right? All these guys come like so like cocky, like we're gonna, we got our chains and everything for you. And they lost. So they went again to Delphi, and they were told to at- obtain the bones of Orestes, the son of Agamemnon, and become the protector of um, Tegea. So once Sparta had these bones, and they understood the significance of their oracle, they, um, they ceased to fight the Arcadians, as other Dorians had done, and she offered herself, you know, Sparta offered them herself as their protector. So then Sparta and Tegea came to terms, and when the other Arcadians joined them, Sparta could count on their aid against Argos if the need should arise. And there was, they call it, it's a treaty of reconciliation, and it was between them, and it's on a stele on the bank of a river. Two of its terms are reported by Aristotle. One, to expel the Messenians from the land and not to be allowed to make men blessed, which means dead. <laughs> So um, the expulsion of the Messinians was the first step towards obtaining, a, like establishing a buffer around Sparta's territory. And the ban on capital sentence was in the interest of those Tegeans who laconized. I, I know the word, I just can't pronounce it right. I mean, becoming like a Spartan. And that's so like a, a hundred years later, Athens would kind of do the same thing. So basically Sparta's... Um, now they have alliances in the Peloponnese. And we don't know all the conditions that were, you know, to be a Spartan ally, but most likely they included, um, get, you couldn't harbor Mycenaean refugees. You would have to agree to help Sparta in the event of a helot revolt. And then you accepted Sparta's command in a joint war. This is kind of interesting. The right of command is unrestricted. So the king or kings in command of Sparta didn't necessarily have to re- reveal the objective in a campaign with these allies. So that's pretty good for Sparta. They say, you guys are coming to war with us, and we'll let you know when you get there. Um, of course, the advantages now, they had indirect control of all these areas, a buffer around them, plus this, they have a re- large reserve of, um, you know, forces. It's kind of like, too, to me, like how Western governments, you know, try to be like, okay, we're going to support Ukraine because you're this kind of government. And then other ones, you know, it's sort of like that's what's happening here in Greece. I see. So this is the way Sparta sets up its power for the future. Correct. Or you could look at it like when you think about like the powers of Europe barreling towards World War I, you know? It was like yeah. the alliances are what caused this massive thing. And the same thing, I guess, in Greece eventually, right? I'm am- amazed at how much the Spartans hate the Messenians still. Right. And also this ongoing rivalry with Argos. Yeah. They're like two uh, feuding brothers. I just, I, I, I know, I just, I'm always like, I don't know the word, like it's, it's, I think it's upsetting to me, like how they just enslaved all those people. So the, it got maybe upset the Argos, people from Argos too, you know, and the Mycenaeans obviously didn't like being enslaved. But yeah, so like you said, Sparta is setting the stage with their alliances in their region there, and that will definitely have ramifications later. 
as I think we know. So the last, there's another important, very, very, very important person. I saved him for last, and he's in Athens. But this is just his beginnings. So we'll be talking about him and his family for the next few decades. And his name is Pisistratus. Have you heard of this guy? No, I can't say I have. Yeah, I knew, I hadn't either, but he's very important. Like if you're like study, if you're a scholar of Greece and you study like democ- the foundations of democracy and things like that, he's he's very important. At this time, so I'm going to tell you his story, from th- and we're going to start it now. So from this time, he the important thing about him is that he is a general, and if remember I said the the um, the Megar the Megarans were. They were blockading the area of Athens. So he has does something to take care of that. But let me go into his background. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So in, in Athens, most of these governments, if you were, you know, they were like monarchy based. But we had Solon just right before this time, right? So this is this, this time here. And most of these families, they could trace their back. This is what they did in Greece. They could trace their families back to all these mythological founders like Heracles or, you know, all these different people. So this, his, this guy, Pisistratus, his clan were suppo- originally from um, the Mycenaean Greeks city of Pylos in Mycenae. And they traced their ancestry to the mythological king of Pylos, Nelius and his son was Nestor, right? And he fought in the Trojan War. Remember Solon? He, Pisistratus is related to him through his mother, so they're like cousins. So here's his early life. This is interesting too, his birth. Of course, he has a birth story from Herodotus. So his father, his name was Hipp- Hippocrates. He's not the one from the Hippocratic Oath. He attended the Olympic Games in like around 608, 604, and when he made a sacrifice to the gods, the meat was boiled without a fire. And this was witnessed by Chilon. That's the guy I told you, one of the seven sages of Greece. He was the Spartan. Mm. And as a result, Chilon recommended that Hippocrates send away his wife if she could bear children, and if he had a son, to disown him. <laughs> These Spartans are tough, you know? <laughs> They're like, just get rid of this guy. Get rid of your wife because the meat didn't boiled without a fire. So Hippocrates, he didn't follow his advice, and he had the son, Pisistratus. So this is, that's him. I, I want to tell you a little bit more about Chilon, right? I could have talked about him before, but I want to tell you about him now because so, I don't want to miss this. 
Okay. According to an inscription at the bath of the bath of the seven sages, right? The seven sages agrees. His a quote from him is, "Cunning chillin taught to fart silently." <laughs> what? <laughs> Cunning chillin taught to fart silently. Yeah, I think he was like a. He's like one of those like very pragmatic advisors, I guess you could say. Um, under his leadership, it Sparta stopped, you know, doing the violent conquests and used diplomacy, like we like we said before. So basically, he is the guy that came up with the idea and did the thing with the bones, where they brought the bones back um, from those places and made, created the league. He has some quotes here. And one famous one from him is he's uh, an ancient Greek proverb translates to something like, less is more. This is a good quote. All right, back to Pisistratus. I'm sorry about all that. What we said about Pisistratus, this name too, Pisistratus, it sounds pretty funny. Um, it does. Right. So here's what happens with him. He is an Athenian general. He captures the port of Nicaea. N-I-S-A-E-A. How do we pronounce that? Nicaea, right? Yeah. It's, it's in the nearby city-state of Megara, Megara, around 565. So now that opened up the trade blockade that had been, you know, contributing to those food shortages. And then, if you remember, we said we thought that Solon retired and he left Athens. And Aristotle says that the city was still very divided and in turmoil, you know, because of all the different factions. And you remember they were you would get we had Draco, you could get killed for stealing a cabbage, and then Solon pissed off all the rich people by, you know, um changing things. And things were getting better, but now that you gave the poor people some power, they wanted they were like, This is all bull, you know, like we really want more um more power and not being made slaves and all this kind of stuff. So um there was like three classes, but originally there was really two. There's the Pediocoi, and they are the population that resided in the plains. And these people, they were landowners, and they produced grain. And they had leverage during the food shortage. Um, and then there's the Paraloi, and they were the population living on the coast. They're not as strong as the other party because they couldn't produce grain. And then while they were, there was the blockade, their power was even more limited. But then there's this other faction, and this was really put together by Pisistratus. And they're the Hyperacoi. <laughs> and they're like hill people and they're poor. And their only production was barter for things like honey and wool. But by him organizing them into these this hill dweller dwellers party, they like majorly outnumbered the other two parties combined. So basically he's like a populist who put in all these, you know, simple folk, I guess, right? The average folk. So now he had this huge party. And so because he was popular for conquering that city-state there and ending the blockade, he thought, now maybe it's my time. I could seize power. He did What he did was he went out and pretended he got beat up. He probably, I don't know if he paid somebody to beat him up or something like in the movies. And he came r- riding into town with his chariot and his mules were all like in his, hor- you know, his cart. And he's all wounded. And he said, I need protection from like official protection, you know, from... And I can't go around town like this. So he got a group of bodyguards from his his hill dweller people, and he's walking around with like 50 bodyguards with clubs. And then he took over the government. (laughs) 
and become a, a, a real tyrant. A tyrant, yeah. He seized the he seized the um, Acropolis and became a tyrant. And so now Athens has a tyrant. So, and this is the beginning of the rise of Athens, and we saw the rise of Sparta before that. Correct. So really setting up for a long, long conflict between these two parties. That's right. Because Athens, I mean, Sparta doesn't like democracies that much, but they definitely don't like tyrannies, tyrannies. And nobody has a democracy yet. No, they just sort of have these like, I know we're not calling it democracies, but, you know, Solon made these things. You have three bodies, you know, and even Rome had a Senate. And so I think I think there was these, you know, town elders, maybe you could say, you know, like the rich people, the sort of. You know, but then the poor people are trying to get some power and they're getting some power. When they get a little power, they want more power. Yes. And when they can't get it, I think they resort to violence. So Pisistratus was basically the tr- Trump of uh, the 560s BC. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Although I don't want to do too many spoilers because he's around for a while. And, and I, you know, I did, I did the research on him later, but I don't have it all like organized. But he he may be not so bad. <laughs> Interesting. That's the thing. Like Aristotle doesn't like tyrants, but he's sort of okay with Pisistratus. The benevolent tyrant. Kinda. Yeah. Well, he did end the the blockade. He did. Trump could have did that in a day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're not political. I, I kind of hacked through this Greece. I, if I did, for you guys, I apologize. It was a lot of little different things. It's not like one big event, but Pisistratus is important. His, like I said, him and his sons are going to be around for a while. And we're in the 560s, so we're barreling towards you know a lot of major events in Greek history the next 50, 60 years. And this guy is uh, definitely important, and we'll have more on him. There's all kind of drama with him. This isn't over. Yeah, there's all kind of stuff with this guy. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get right on him. There's other good podcasts you could check out on the history of ancient Greece. Ryan Stitt's podcast, he's got some good information on Pisistratus. I'll put links in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, check out our Facebook page. Well, we got a... Somebody gave me a good review. Yeah, you want me to read it? Yeah, please. So we got this review from Michael Andresen. Michael Andresen. Might be Danish or Norwegian. And Michael says, I've come as far in the podcast that Bernie has arrived. I'm so impressed with your work, Bernie. With your research, dedication to details and sense of humor. You've taken the podcast to the next level. Totally fantastic. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. And I can only agree with Michael. Well, thank you too then. You've done a great job. I have a lot of fun with it. It's been four years. It has been, I know. So I hope you you stick with us until uh, the birth of Christ, at least. I think so. I think so, if there is such a thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's actually an episode we made for uh, the new Swedish history podcast, The Historicity of Jesus. Yeah, I want to hear it, but I can't. I'll, I'll tell you about it. I can do a special show here. I would like to, because I've actually been doing some research on that again. Sort of an interesting topic for me. Oh, spoiler is uh, nobody really knows. Exactly. Nobody knows much. The sources are vague at best. That's true. 
Okay, next time we are going to Rome. Oh, you're the Rome man. All right. <laughs> I'm the Rome man. That's you right. Rome man. Yeah, Dan the Rome man. <laughs> we'll talk a lot about politics. Okay. Politics are fun. Check out our Facebook page, our Patreon. Let's go and talk about Rome next time on Fan of History. See you then. Okay, see you then. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.